You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Paul says about your life in Christ. If you then have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection. The word there literally means your mind, your heart. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth or mundane things. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. What in the world does that mean? Your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. We're going to be thinking together about your life in Christ. Father, we pray that you would give us uh, more than just uh, intellectual enlightenment this evening. Lord, our prayer is that uh, we would reach out with our heart and embrace the truths of your word and that as a result of our embracing those tonight, our lives would be changed because we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word that you speak to us. And so, Father, as we walk through and work through these verses, open our eyes that we might behold the wonderful truths of your word. And we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who will interpret your word to us tonight. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that our lives will be changed because of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. Be seated. And of course, I always say it, but I mean it. Keep your Bible open to this passage in Colossians chapter 3 because we're going to work through each of those verses as we think together about your life in Christ. What is different about the Christian life other than the fact that a Christian knows one day he's going to heaven. What's different about a Christian life? Sometimes I meet people who will say, quite honestly, I don't know of any difference. I mean, isn't it true that when you receive Christ as your Savior, what you get is a guarantee that you're going to go to heaven when you die? And isn't that the main thing about the Christian life? Well, that's one of the main things, but that's not necessarily the only thing about the Christian life. What's different about the Christian life as long as you're living here on earth? Isn't there something to it? Jesus said the thief, speaking of the devil, has come to kill and to steal and to destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it literally full and running over, life more abundantly. Well, what's different about the Christian life? What is the Christian life, the life in Christ? As a matter of fact, in this verse of Scripture, which I read a few moments ago, he said, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. He said, and you are hidden in Christ, and Christ is in God. What does that mean? What is different about the Christian life? Truth of the matter is, I meet a lot of people who say they're Christians who do not exhibit any of the differences the Bible says are present in a Christian's life. And while I am not their judge, I guarantee you sometimes it causes me to wonder, have they really met the Lord Jesus as their Savior? Because the Bible says that when you meet Christ, there will be a difference in your life. And uh, I'll tell you this, you can be religious and lost, that is, and go to hell, but you cannot meet Christ without being changed. And we're going to be looking at those differences in the next few moments as we think about your life in Christ. 
Now, in the verses of Scripture which we read just a few moments ago, verses 1 through 4 of Colossians chapter 3, we see three things. First of all, we see an explanation of this new life in Christ. And secondly, we see the expectations that people have who are in Christ. Everybody who's been born again has a certain expectation. There's something you can count on, something you expect, and it's down deep in your heart, and you're counting on it. You are believing in it, and sure enough, the Lord has promised that he will perform it. But also in these verses, in addition to an explanation and an expectation, there is an exhortation. There is something that the Apostle Paul says every believer in Christ should do. As a result of believing in Christ, it will change your life. And so let's look, first of all, at the explanation. What does it mean when this preacher says, or when you read in the Bible, that you have a new life in Christ? The Bible says that when you become a Christian, life changes. Old things pass away, the Scripture says, and all things become new to you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that when you become a Christian, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. In other words, trusting in Christ means something more than Christ coming into your heart, straightening up your thinking, patching up your old kind of life, and helping you to live better. He says he does away with the old life. It's gone. Old things pass away, and all things become new to you. So let's see what it is that this new life is all about as we think together about the explanation of a new life. Now, the four things I want to say by, by means of explanation. First of all, let me take just a few moments to ask you to go backward in this scripture and see with me a description of the old life. How does the Bible describe a person who does not know Christ Jesus as his Savior or her Savior? It uses this word. It uses the word death. Now, look with me, if you will, please, back in chapter 2 at the passage of Scripture we considered last Sunday morning. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, And you, being dead in your sins, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he made alive together with him. But notice he says you are dead in your trespasses or in your sins. The Bible says, for instance, the wages or the result of sin is death. And, of course, the reference there is not to physical death, but we can use physical death as an illustration of this. When somebody dies physically, life just goes out of their body. I really appreciate those of you who are here on time this evening, and some of you all were even here early tonight, and you saw up on our screens what we see every Wednesday evening. When you, when you arrive early, you saw a Christian newscast, and in there you heard the testimony of Jim Hooten, who along with his family have just escaped. They're Southern Baptist missionaries who have just escaped from Rwanda. And many of you have seen pictures on the television screen of, of the hundreds of thousands of people who are dying brutal deaths, cruel deaths in the African nation of Rwanda. Now, I have held people in my arms as they have died. And what happens when an individual dies is that life just goes out of their body. Everything else is there. I mean, the bone, the blood, flesh, everything's there. Five minutes earlier, they're alive. Now, five minutes later... They are dead. Life has gone out of the body. You see, the key factor of death is separation. 
Life has separated itself from this body. Now, when the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, here's what it means. Just like life goes out of your physical body when you die physically, God has gone out of your life and you are dead spiritually. You're separated from God. The wages or the result of sin is, physical, uh, is spiritual death. The Bible says the soul that sins, it shall die. Now, soul is not something physical. We're thinking in terms of that which is spiritual. And so it is not just physical death, it is spiritual death, it is being separated from God. And if you do die physically in that particular state, you spend your forever separated from God. So that's how the Bible describes the old life. It is death. The wages of sin is death. We're all sinners. The Bible says we've all come short of the glory of God, and the result of that is we are walking dead men. We're like zombies. You ever see one of these movies where they have zombies, the walking dead? Well, the truth of the matter is everyone without Christ is just existing physically, but it does not have the life. He is alive physically, alive soulishly, but dead spiritually, cut off from God. Now, notice again as a part of this explanation how we are delivered unto this new life. Notice in verse 13, you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And you remember we, we learned how earlier in this verse that circumcision was the Old Testament or the Jewish way of being marked out as being a believer in God. And it was not the way that you became a believer in God. It was the way that you showed that you were a believer in God. And we even see here in those verses 12, 13, and 14, for instance, in chapter 2, that baptism is the New Testament way of picturing that. We talk about how you certify your faith pictorially by baptism as a believer, we see up in verse 12. Now, what, it, what happens when you are delivered by the Lord Jesus? Look at verses 13 and 14 again. He says here, you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened? The word there is made alive. It is the word zoe. We, we get our word zoology from that. You have been made alive together with him. As a matter of fact, the way you have been made alive is that he died for you. He paid the wages of your sin, which is death. He has risen from the grave and this living Savior has brought forgiveness of all of your sins. Everything that has separated you from God, he forgives you of all your sins. Notice what it says in verse 1 of chapter 3. If you then are risen with Christ. So just like Christ rose up from the dead, the power of God that brought that resurrection, so you have been raised from the death of sin. You are a living person. You are made alive in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, as a matter of fact, he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Everlasting life. And so the eternal life of God, which always has been, comes into your life, and from that moment on, your life lasts forever. And so this is the deliverance that comes with the Lord Jesus. Now, notice also, by way of explaining this new life, the device by which this deliverance comes. How do you get delivered? What do you have to do to get delivered from your sins? Well, the answer is that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me, if you will, please, at verse 12 again of chapter 2. Buried with him in baptism, wherein you also are risen with him through the faith, through the faith of the operation or the energy of God. So it is through faith. That's why the Bible says, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of any kind of works, lest any man should boast. And so we are delivered by 
trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, trusting in the fact that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay for all of our sins and that he has risen from the grave. Now, I want you to notice finally, by way of explanation, we have seen the description of the old life. We have seen the deliverance and the new life. We have seen the device by which this deliverance comes. It is faith. But notice also the depth to which this new life will affect you. Look at verse 3 of chapter 3. For you are dead. He's speaking about all believers in Christ. You are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. You know what he's saying here? The old you headed to hell has died. It's gone. And your life, this life that Christ has poured into you, this life is hid with Christ in God. Around you is the Lord Jesus, and around the Lord Jesus is God. And so you are hidden in Christ with God. Um, maybe I can explain it this way. He's speaking here about the fact that we are identifying with Christ. What Jesus did on the cross brought victory for us. And someone says, how can something that Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago have any impact on me? Well, let me ask you a question. Did the lives laid down in the revolution of 1776, there was a declaration of independence, these Minutemen went out to fight, did their lives laid down for our freedom, do they have any impact on us today? Why, of course they do. You see, there's a sense in which their death purchased for us by our identifying with their death, purchased for us the kind of freedoms that we enjoy as a nation today. Did Jesus' life laid down on the cross of Calvary some 2,000 years ago, does it have any impact on me today? Yes, it does. By faith, as I identify myself with Christ, as I receive him by faith as my Savior, his death on the cross over sins becomes active in me. I identify with that. I am hidden in Christ with God. I am identified. Just so as he was buried, that's why we say when, when Wilson uh, baptizes, and I'll tell you this, I, I, don't you love to hear it, Wilson baptized, not only to see Wilson baptized, but to hear Wilson baptized. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I love that, Wilson. I mean, it's worth coming to church just to hear you say, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And uh, I appreciate the spirit with which he does it. All right, what do we say? Buried with Christ in baptism unto death. In other words, we are identifying with his death. What did we do? Our old man has died, just like Christ died on the cross. Raised to walk in newness of life because the Lord Jesus Christ has been raised from the grave. We identify with him. We identify with his victory. And because of that, we serve a living Savior and the life of Christ is ours. And so this is the explanation. What does he say? You are risen with Christ. When Christ rose up from the grave, he rose to give life to all who believe in him. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so that is the explanation of your life in Christ. He is your life. He lives in you when you receive him by faith as your Savior. Now, notice secondly the expectation of those who possess this new life. You say, what, Brother Tom, 
suppose tonight in this service, at the end of this service, when we stand and you pray and then you invite those who want to receive Christ as their Savior to come to the altar and make that decision. Suppose tonight the Lord God speaks to my heart and I'm convinced that I need Christ, I need to receive him as my Savior, and I come forward and take the hand of one of those counselors and say, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. And we go out there to that counseling room and, and you just take a few moments and you pray with me and you give me some information, but in that pray, prayer time, I trust in Jesus as my Savior. What can I expect after that? What do I look forward to after that? What are the expectations of a person who possesses a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, there are two of them given to us here in the Scripture. This is not a complete list, but there are two of them given to us in verse 4. Notice, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Now, there are two things that every believer in Christ can legitimately expect. Now, there are more than two, but there are two that this Scripture tells us about. I mean, you can expect a change in your life. You can expect a change in your attitude toward things. But there are two in this verse that, that, that maybe you have forgotten that you can legitimately expect. All right, here's the first one. I want you to hold on to your seat just for a moment. But here's the first one. You can expect legitimately the imminent return of the Lord Jesus. Now, that's an exciting thought. I mean, when I... When I think about the fact that, that, that any moment the clouds shall part and there'll be the trump of God and the voice of the archangel and a shout and the dead, the Bible says, in Christ, those who passed away, shall rise first and we who are alive and remain shall be gathered together with them in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I mean, I, I'll guarantee you, I get goosebumps on top of my goosebumps just thinking about the imminent return of the Lord Jesus. The other day, I was seated at a dinner table with J.R. Church. J.R., as you know, is the, the speaker for prophecy in the news. And I said, J.R., let me ask you a question. Do you see, I said, do you, this is your life study. Do you see anything else that needs to happen that the Bible tells us is going to happen before the Lord Jesus will return? He said, Tom, as far as I can tell, there is not one prophecy left unfulfilled except for Jesus to come. He said, I'll guarantee you. He said, there's not anything else I know of that needs to happen. He said, there's some things that could happen, but there's nothing that needs to happen in order for the Lord Jesus to come. He said, all things are in a state of readiness now. And, you know, the Bible tells us that one of the things that will happen, he said, think life will be, there'll just be such an intensity about the world. It said there'll be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes. You know, the interesting thing about it is, you know how many wars are going on in our, in our, in our world today? You know how many wars are going on? This might surprise you. Did you know that there are 43 different wars going on in the world. Right now, as I speak, there are wars going on in 43 different geographical locations, countries. Some of them are within countries. Some of them are country to country. 43. Increases in earthquakes, you know, and, but what he's, what he's saying here is, is this is just going to build and build and build, and we've just seen an amazing thing happen in this world. And J.R. said, Tom, he said, to be perfectly honest with you, Nothing remains. So you can legitimately expect the return of Christ. Notice what he says. He doesn't say if 
Christ, who is our life, appears one day. He says, when? It's an assumption. One of these days, the Lord Jesus is going to return. And when he shall appear. And notice it will be a physical appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's one of the things you can legitimately expect. Are you ready for that? I mean, uh, if you, some of you say, boy, you know, I, I'd like to just get a few things out of my closet and a few things out of my life and a few things straightened up. I mean, are you ready? You better live in a state of readiness for that. Secondly, you can expect when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, if you are a believer in Christ, you can expect an eternal reign with him. You can expect an eternal reign with him. Notice what he says here. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, he's speaking about the return of Christ, then shall you also, notice this now, appear with him in glory. That means when Christ comes, he's going to bring with him whom? He's going to bring with him all those of the ages. He's going to come first in the air, gather up his bride to him. And there'll be that time we call the judgment seat of Christ. The world will go through that seven-year period of tribulation. At the end of that, then, there will be what we call the second coming of Christ because he's going to come to this earth. You see, the first time he comes in the clouds to gather his church to him, then there's a coming to this earth of Christ. And the Bible says that when the heavens part and Jesus comes, he comes to judge this earth. But all the believers, all who comprise the church of all the ages will come together with him. And you can expect the eternal reign of Christ as the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, co-reigning with your groom, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming with him. It's an amazing thing that every believer in Christ can expect the imminent return and the eternal reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an exciting thing, dear friends. And I want to tell you something. When a person is in a prison, they tell me that as long as there is something out there for which to live, that that flicker of hope, that candle of hope is burning in his heart. It doesn't make a difference how dis desperate the situation may be that a man can live. Victor Frankl said it this way. He said, if a man has a why to live for, he can make do with almost any old how. And I want to tell you that during the darkest hours of your life, when you're wondering if you, if you can go on, if you're wondering, I mean, your world is falling down around your ears, you look out through the ages and there are two things you can count on. Jesus is coming and when he comes, he's going to gather you to him if you're a believer in Christ and when he comes to this earth, you with him will reign in glory. That is a wonderful, wonderful truth and every believer in Christ can legitimately expect that because he has promised that, all right? Now, as a result of that, we see here in these verses an exhortation. We've seen, first of all, an explanation of the new life in Christ. What is it? Jesus comes and puts his life in you. And so you are in Christ, in God. What security? What security? Then we've seen the expectation. When he shall appear, which means he will appear, you shall reign with him in glory. Then shall you also appear with him in glory. So the imminent return and the eternal reign. Now, here is the exhortation for those who possess new life. Now, I'm not going to read all of the 23 verses of chapter 3. I'm going to reserve uh, everything beyond verse 4 for other services. But I want you to see this exhortation in verse 2. 
He says, set your affection on things above, not on things on earth. Now, beginning with verse 5, we see, he says, put to death your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. He gives this huge list here. But I want to focus in just for a moment on verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things on earth. Now, here's the illustration of marriage again. The bride says to the groom, I do. The groom says to the bride, I do. They walk down the aisle out of the church. How do you think the groom would appear or would feel if as they're walking out to the car, getting ready to go on their honeymoon, he looks over at his bride and he notices his bride is just transfixed because standing over there on the sidewalk someplace in front of the church is some gorgeous, handsome hunk of man. And boy, I mean, he just looks over and she's just captivated by that. And she stops, and, and he says, Sweetheart, let's get in the, we're going on our honeymoon. And she says, Look at that guy. Man, he is really handsome, isn't he? Boy, I wonder what it would be like to date him. What do you think that groom feels like? He's probably going to put her under the car as it drives away rather than in the car. All right, listen. The church is what? Say it. The, the what? The bride. Who is the groom? Christ. When you become a Christian, you are married to him. Now, where should your affections be zeroed in? Upon Christ, your groom, the one who's your deliverer, the one who laid down his life for you, the one who's going to come for you. You are his bride. He has bought you with a price. You are not your own. You're bought with price. You're to glorify God with your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. It belongs to him. How do you think it must seem to the Lord when we set our affection on, on the earth, the very thing he's come to deliver us from, to save us from, and say, my, my, that sure looks good to me. Boy, that sure would feel good to me. I sure would like to go back to the old way. I sure would like to dabble in that. I sure do want to think about that. What do you think God, the Father? What do you think Christ, the Son, your Savior? What do you think the Holy Spirit, who can be quenched, the Bible says? What do you think? The Lord must feel when you have your affection on the things, the very things from which he has delivered you. So here is the exhortation. First of all, he says, focus on things of eternal significance. Set your affection. There the word is, focus your mind. Set your affection. I, I think the word set there is probably the best kind of word to use. Look at, look, look at it this way. You get in somebody's car and they turn on the key and if the radio's on, immediately you find the station upon which that radio is set. It may be Christian music, it may be rock music, it may be classical music, it may be mood music, it may be a talk show, but if their radio's on, you turn on the ignition, you'll find where the radio is set. You go into somebody's house and there's a television set there and uh, you just go over and push the on button and you'll find the channel that they've set it up on. Now, it doesn't mean that there are not other channels. It doesn't mean that there are not other stations. 
It just means that somebody driving that car or somebody living that at home has made a deliberate choice about the channel they're going to receive. They have set it. Now, what he is saying here is this. Since Christ died for you and paid the wages of your sin and you're identifying with Christ in his death, and since Christ has risen from the grave and you want eternal life, which only a risen Savior can give you, so you identify with him in his life he's poured into you, since he died for you and he is raised for you, why don't you tune in the set of your life on the things that are important to Christ? You make a choice. Set your affections, your tuner, your receiver, your focus. Set your affection on things above. Now, if you flip through the channels, you're going to, be, you're going to discover that the devil is, is broadcasting all over. And you'll, be, you'll discover right off the bat when you flip through the channels that there are things below. The things which will captivate your attention, things which will stir the lust of the old person that you were before you trusted in Christ, you're going to discover that there are things out there that will stir that up in you. Just like if you flip through the television channels or flip through the radio channels, you'll discover there are all kinds of things out there which can stir up memories and thoughts of the past, the way the things that are not godly but are godless, as a matter of fact. So he's saying here, as a believer in Christ who is identified with him in his death and his, his resurrection, since you can appreciate now the fact that he is your Savior, he paid for the price for your sins, why don't you watch what Christ is watching? Look at the same channel he's looking at, things above. Don't lay up treasure on earth where moth and rust can corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up these treasures in heaven where none of those things can happen. So first of all, you should focus on matters of eternal significance. Which would make you the most upset? Let me give you an illustration. What would bother you the most this evening? I mean, really grieve you the most this evening. Would you be grieved the most if no one came forward and received Christ at the close of this service or if you walked out of the parking lot and found that somebody had put a door ding on the side of your car. You see, the reality is we get so focused on the things of the earth that we could come to a service and, and it maybe doesn't bother us that nobody would come forward and trust Christ as their Savior or come to this altar and have their life changed. And maybe that wouldn't even bother us. But boy, if you walked out there and found on your new car that somebody had opened the door and put a ding in the side of your door, man, that would really bother you. What is he saying here? If all of your eternity is wrapped up in what Jesus has done for you, shouldn't this temporal life be something of an offering to him? Shouldn't it somehow be a focusing upon the things that are important to him? Focus on matters of eternal significance. Now, in order to do that, see, in order to watch one channel, you've got to not watch the others, right? Right? In order to watch one channel, you've got to not watch the others. In order to listen to one station, you've got to not listen to the others. So in order to facilitate your setting, your focus, or focusing on matters of eternal significance, you've got to forsake those things which are promoting worldly indulgence. Notice what he says here. Set your affection on things above, not 
on the things of earth. Every one of us has that choice within us, that tuner within us. So if you're going to set your focus on those things which are eternally significant, it means you deliberately choose to forsake those things which promote the flesh, worldly indulgence. And the reality is that the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Your new life in Christ explained. Your new life in Christ, you have an expectation it could happen any moment. Your new life in Christ, there is an exhortation. Set your affections on things above, not on things below. How are you living your new life in Christ? Let's bow our hearts before the Lord. Would you stand with me quietly? A few moments after I pray, our counselors will be here at this altar. Our praise singers will help us as we sing a hymn of invitation, your personal invitation to come to Christ. You would have to say this evening, I do not know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven, preacher. I don't know for sure that my sins have been washed away. I don't know for sure that I'm, I'm saved and I want to be. I want to be. Well, then, dear friend, why don't you come this evening and just take a counselor by the hand and say, look, I want to be saved. I want to be saved. Your personal invitation to come and make that decision. If you've made a decision in recent services and we've not introduced you, I'm going to ask you to come and just be seated over here at the front where it says seating for new members over to my left, to your right. We'll introduce you at the close of the service. If the Lord's speaking to your heart about joining this church. Did you know you're being obedient to the Lord would encourage people who need to trust Christ to make that decision? It will encourage other people. And what a responsible way to begin your membership in a church Nothing more responsible than encouraging other people to do right. And so I would encourage you, if you're an individual, if you're a family member, families, and God's spoken to your heart about becoming a part of this church, don't hesitate tonight, Wednesday night, just come down here and say to one of these counselors, we want to join, I want to join. This is your invitation to make that decision. You may need to come as some already are. Kneel here at this altar and say, Lord, you've spoken to my heart through your word, and I want to agree with you. I want that kind of change in my life. Well, this is your invitation to make that decision. It may be God speaking to you about some other matter. Maybe he's calling you into some kind of ministry. Maybe he's speaking to your heart about following his command to be baptized. and You've not done that. Well, I want to encourage you to make that decision this evening. Father in heaven, I pray trusting your Holy Spirit now will take this which has been shared from your word, bring conviction to our hearts, bring people to this altar to say yes to you. And I pray it in the wonderful and matchless and saving name of Jesus. Amen. Let's begin singing together. And as we sing...